Today we're going to start a new series for four weeks entitled Beyond Blue. Here at Calvary, if you are new, we typically just preach through the Bible, taking a New Testament book, an Old Testament book, and work our way through the whole counsel of God. From time to time, elders and pastors recommend a certain series based on perhaps family needs. And so one of the family needs that we have sensed recently is to talk about the interior health of the Christian, both spiritual and mental. And so we're going to take four weeks and talk about things like despair and despondency, anxiety, worry, fear, anger, and doubts. Things that operate on the interior that maybe people don't see, but they're actually, they're actually affecting how we live on the outside. Now, you might be thinking, oh, if we're going to have a conversation about mental, spiritual, interior health, that's like this new, modern, fandangled science stuff that's not biblical. But in part, we want you to say that, we want you to know that it is, that you, a, you are a bipartite being, meaning that you are both physical and spiritual. And so if you're going to go seek counsel for someone that only treats you as someone who is a physical being, someone who has a heart and a mind and a body, but they ignore your spiritual realities, their counsel will be limited to you. Likewise, if you go to perhaps a pastor or someone who only treats you as a spiritual being, but has no interest in your physical well-being, your heart, your mind, your body, their helps to you, likewise, will be limited. But what we see in the scriptures is that the scriptures treat us as the imago Dei, the image of God, the ones who are created in his image as both body and spirit. And throughout the entire scriptures, they're concerned with the interior and the exterior. I think we've been more keenly aware of the exterior of our bodies recently, the health of our bodies, how we're doing, going to see doctors, thinking about our health, thinking about diseases, how our body would respond to certain diseases if we were to get it. Now we should take that same attention, and so we should pay attention to the interior of our life with our heart and our minds as well. The scriptures call us to love God with our whole heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. So if those are all areas of our life, then we want to pay attention to the health of those areas. One of the challenging things is that the interior is actually more prone to trauma than our exterior. Our exterior is actually has a limit on how much it can be impacted. But the interior can be traumatized over and over and over again. Charles Spurgeon even makes this point when he says, The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. I think this is why the Proverbs, the, the book of wisdom tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. Everything flows from the way in which we have fed or cared for our hearts, our interior, our mental well-beings. And so we want to pay attention to it for a few weeks now. 
Today, I want to start by talking about fear. We're going to take different topics. Today, we want to start with the topic of fear. There's something about fear that happens from the inside that affects the outside immediately. Fear is actually a great gift from God because when you're afraid of something, when you perceive a threat, whether it's real or it's just perceived to be a threat, your body responds. And so there are certain chemicals that happen to go up to your brain and start suppressing your appetite in case you have to run for a long distance. There are certain things that go on in your body in which your senses, what you see and smell and hear are heightened. Your awareness of your surroundings are more in tune. Your heart begins to race. You can feel this, this adrenaline in your body increasing when you sense fear. Now in this room, we're all afraid of certain things. Raise your hand if you're afraid of spiders. All right, snakes, that's mine. Don't give me a snake. If I find a snake, I'm just gonna die. How about fear of public speaking? Fear of social environments? Yeah. Fear of being accepted? So here's the thing is we have these fears. And a lot of times, they're just, it's a good service to us. There's a huge snake. Pay attention. Walk away. But then there's other fears that are less tangible. Fears of securities. Do I have enough financial security to be okay? Fear of health. I, I don't know if I'm going to have cancer or not have cancer. Will I contract COVID or not contract COVID? Will I do well with COVID or not do well with COVID? And then I can just be afraid all the time. And so some of these fears become what's called chronic fear. And we begin to live in a perpetual state of fear. And this is where the interior decline happens. When we live in a perpetual state of fear, not addressing our fear in healthy ways, not coming to God with our fear in healthy ways, but constantly living in it erodes the heart, the wellspring of life, damages our mind, and then has actual physiological effects on our bodies. Now, what's hard is that we are living in a time that's marked by fear. If you didn't realize, the world is a bit unstable. And I'm not even just talking about the pandemic. In our local communities, just in this last week, what looked like just a dry day in December turned into a horrific day impacting people's lives for the next several years and forever. There are people now living with fear that perhaps their house can burn down any day now, any moment. There are those who smelt the smoke and assume that, you know what, now I go to bed and I'm afraid. Talking with families this week in conversations that they're having with their kids, those who grabbed a few belongings and hopped in their cars and drove through the flames of Louisville with their family in the car, are having these conversations with their kids every single night. Are we going to be okay tonight? And they're living in a state of chronic fear. And chronic fear erodes us in so many ways. When you talk to those in medical professions, they point out that these sorts of, these sorts of fears come through threats of well-being. If I don't feel like I'm going to be safe, I can live in a chronic state of fear. If there's a, there's a sense of scarcity, there's not going to be enough out there for 
for me to provide for me or my family, then there's a sense of fear. Raise your hand, be honest. This is church, you can't lie. You bought something in the last two years because you had a fear that it might not be there. Everyone who doesn't have their hand raised is a liar. I mean, I have big things of toilet paper in my basement. Because who knew there was gonna be a scarcity? Some of you guys have bought 10 year food supplies. I've heard some people buy their, buy their first firearm. Why do people do these things? It's because we're afraid. And we live in a time that's fearful. And we live in a culture that breeds fear. This is how politicians and media draw in your attention, keep your attention, keep your dollars going to them. Why? Because I'm gonna keep you in a state of fear where your senses are heightened and you're paying attention to me always. And the easiest way to keep you locked in is to keep you afraid. And this will erode the interior of our life and have significant physical effects. Mental health experts talk about how it has effects on memory. Chronic fear can impair the storage of long-term memories and lead to the damage of some parts of the brain, including the hippocampus. Constant fear can short-circuit the response paths in our mind, thereby making it more difficult to regulate fear and make you feel afraid most of the time. Having long-term fear can also cause the deterioration of our brain cells leading to clinical depression, fatigue, PTSD. Persistent fear can cause headaches and become migraines and nervousness, becomes panic attacks. Chronic fear in some cases can tamper with brain processes. Persistent fear can change how we act and behave towards those in the surrounding areas. And so what do we do with this sensation that we all have? called fear. Fear produces something in us and affects relationships around us. It can in negative ways. Have you met someone in the last year who's angry? Did you know that anger is not a primary emotion? Anger is what's called a secondary emotion. It means it stems from something. So anger stems from being afraid. It's one of the ways it can come. Anger can also come from being hurt or wounded. It can be emotional or physical. That's how they respond in anger. If I can get angry with you, I can keep you at a distance so you won't hurt me again. If I'm afraid of something, if I get angry, that's the adrenaline going, then I'm going to try to control the situation again. And so I'm going to become angry and yell. Whenever you see someone who's angry, you should ask yourself, what, what are they probably afraid of? Or what have they been hurt by? There's also righteous anger. Righteous anger is the, res the right response of injustice and things that are wrong. That's where we see Jesus' righteous anger coming. But for most of us, it comes from our fear. We're afraid of something. And so we're trying to convince ourselves to get big and strong and loud and nasty with people because really, we're scared. Now, I'm going to go to the Bible now because you think this is all like medical science and stuff. Now, I'm not really interested in all of that. I'm really interested in what God's word says. And we're going to go to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at two characters in which the whole story is wrapped up in fear. And because of fear, you're going to see one man destroy 
his life. Because of fear, he will ruin a relationship with his son. He will ruin relationship with his daughters. He will ruin relationship with friends. He will ruin his whole community. He'll even ruin relationships with his closest allies. The man I'm talking about is a man named Saul. This isn't Saul of the New Testament who becomes Paul. This is Saul, the very first king of Israel. And Saul, on the outward appearance, should not be afraid. I mean, this guy is a man's man, a dude's dude. When Samuel selects him as king, it's because he's tall, dark, and handsome. He looks just like me. He probably looks like Mark. Yeah, I saw Mark this morning. Beautiful man, beautiful man. But Saul is strong. He comes from a great family. He's well-resourced. He's well-positioned. And he has all this authority at being the king. But what is exposed in his leadership is that he's a fearful leader. And so what we see is in 1 Samuel, all these episodes of Saul leading, and he's scared all the time. In, In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see that he's up against these armies and his men are terrified and he's supposed to be waiting for Samuel the prophet to come and offer sacrifices to God before they go into battle. And and Samuel appears to be late. And the scriptures record for us, the men are terrified. Saul is scared and he takes things into his own hands and offers the sacrifice. And and Samuel comes and says, what have you done? And Saul's like, look at how, how scared everyone was. I mean, I'm probably scared too. And so I had to do something we did the wrong thing, and God is going to reject you as king and bring up another. There's another episode in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where he's fighting against the Amalekites. And there God told him to, des- to destroy all the livestock and all the wealth of the Amalekites. And Saul doesn't do it because the people convince him that they should keep all these goods. And Samuel comes and says, what have you done against God? Why didn't you listen to God? And Saul says, I was afraid of the people, my people, what they would do to me. So he's afraid of the enemies, he's afraid of his own people, and so he becomes a fearful king. Probably one of the stories you know the, the best is probably Saul with Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, this is 1 Samuel 17, where this Philistine comes and threatens the people of Israel, and who should go defeat him? Saul! Or find somebody. But he's just cowering in his own tents. Until the next character in our story is a man named David. David is short in stature, the least of his brothers. He's a shepherd. And he sees Goliath and says, why is no one destroying this Philistine? I will go in the name of the Lord and put to silence this blasphemous Philistine. And Saul, seeing what David has accomplished, recognizes there's a, there's a young man of great strength. And brings David into his army as one of his commanders and leaders. And this is where it gets even worse for Saul. Because he lives in chronic fear. So 1 Samuel 18. David has been going out to battle for Saul. And has been having amazing campaigns. And so everyone starts talking about David. And and stops talking about Saul. And everyone has this refrain, starts knowing this refrain. People who are in Israel, around Israel, in foreign lands, this is what they would say. Chapter 18, verse 7. 
And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh man, if the ladies be talking, you know you're in trouble. Like all the ladies are talking, man, oh, Saul, his thousands. David, his ten thousands. And that hurts Saul. And what it hurts turn into is fears. And what does fear turn into is anger. And so you just see this anger that stems from this. And so look at chapter 18, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. He was afraid. Now he's afraid of one of his greatest allies, the one who succeeded against Goliath, his own dear friend, Verse 15, and when Saul saw that he had great success, David, he stood in fearful awe of him. Saul is scared of David. You know, what's funny is, is then Saul says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to try to keep maybe my enemies closer. And so he gives one of his daughters to David, thinking that she would maybe be a spy for him or just cause pain and suffering in David's life. I don't know exactly. It's all somewhat confusing. But at the end of chapter 18, verse 28, after seeing that his daughter, this gal named Michael, has, has actually been warmly welcomed with David, and David loves her and she loves him, the scriptures record for us, but when Saul saw, that, saw and knew that David was, sorry, the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Because of his fear, he allows David to become his enemy. And what you'll see over the next five chapters, and I just encourage you to read it, we don't have time today, is all the moves that Saul goes through. He ruins his relationship with his son, Jonathan. He ruins his relationship with his daughters. He ruins his relationship with David and others. A couple quick highlights of this story. Saul then begins to plot to kill David. Jonathan, Saul's son, who loves David, tells him, you got to run, man. My dad's going to kill you. And so David runs out of town. He goes into this, this place called Nob, where he meets with this priest named Ahimelech that he's met with several times. And there, when he's meeting with Ahimelech, he gets bread from the temple, and then he asks Ahimelech, I had to run so fast, I don't even have a sword on me. Are there any weapons you can give me? And Ahimelech says, well, there's, there's one sword here. It's the sword of Goliath. And David's like, right on. That's a great sword. I'll take that. And so he takes that sword, he takes that bread, and he begins to build a company of men. Then he retreats and runs into the wilderness. And even though he's in the wilderness and no longer a threat to Saul in his own kingdom at all, Saul still perceives him as a threat. He lives in chronic fear of David taking from him, stealing from him, or something that's irrational. What does fear do? What is chronic fear? It erodes our mental faculties so we can make logical, wise, discerning decisions. This is why there's toilet paper in my basement. <laughs> this is why you own certain things that you thought, I, why would I buy this? It's because you were afraid. And you made irrational decisions. And so Saul is pursuing David. And so David just keeps fleeing from place to place. And his life is under constant threat. And so he runs. And there's a man, when, when David came to Nob and saw the priests there, there is a man by the name of Doeg who's loyal to Saul. And he goes back and tells Saul, I know where David is. 
He says he was with, he was with the priests of Renob. He was with Ahimelech. And Saul calls Ahimelech and all the other priests to come to him. And there you see in chapter 22 where Saul is just constantly afraid of everyone. And so he calls the priest and he says, did you give bread to David? Did you inquire of the Lord for David? And Ahimelech's like, Saul, time out, time out. David's your ally. He's your family member. He loves you. I serve David, I serve you. This is not the first time I've done this for David. I do this because you've asked me to do this before. But Saul, because he's scared, he has the chief guards come in. And he says, because you assisted David, he turns to the guard and says, kill them all. And the guards say, you crazy man? We're not killing the priests of God. We are not going to take the life of those who serve in the house of the Lord. And Saul says, Doeg, will you do it? And Doeg then puts to death 85 priests. Why? Because one man's fear. Look what happens out of fear. It's totally irrational. And so you've destroyed families, you've killed people, now you've incited other people to join you in all of this. And David's on the run. Now, one of Helenic's sons, whose name is Abathar, runs to David. He knows where David's hiding out in the wilderness. And I love this line. It doesn't have a lot to do with the teaching. It's just it's so good you have to see it. So he runs to David, and David brings him in, and this is what David says. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. So stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. You're like, here? I don't know, man. If, if the one who's trying to kill me is trying to kill you, I think I might go try to find some other company. But David says, no, no, no. You can't, when, when you're in fear, you can't be alone. And even if you got to hang with me, because the king's after me, you just can't be alone. You need other people. And so come hang out with us. You will be safe. And so Saul continues to pursue David on many fronts. Finally, the showdown happens in chapter 24. Verse 1, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. Now he has 3,000 people wrapped up in his fear. That's crazy. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Kids, that means he has to go to the bathroom. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. The showdown in a cave, Saul unaware that David and his men are there. The threat that's been on David's life sits before him. What does David do? 
Well, see, when we think of David, we think of someone who's immune to fear. I mean, this is like David and Goliath David. Surely he has just like ice water in his veins. It's just not true. See, David writes many of our psalms. We could look at them as journal entries where he shares the interior of his life. What's going on on the inside when all of this is happening? There are several psalms written about the days in which Saul pursued him. Perhaps one of them is Psalm 55. So if you go to Psalm 55, we learn a little bit more about David. So sometimes we look at this picture and say, okay, so Saul is a fearful king. He's afraid. He's responding in anger, destroying all relationships, community, and goodness. But there's David. I mean, there's a man of faith, right? I mean, faith kills fear. I mean, I got the t-shirt from 2020, faith over fear. But this is not true. And it's really helpful, I think, when we see the honesty of these biblical heroes and we realize that faith is not incompatible with things like fear. And people of great faith have despair and despondency. And you just think of many of these great patriarchs and leaders in the Bible. You think of Moses who was, said, I'm just worn out, the burden's too much, God, let me die. He just wants death. Think of Elijah after Mount Carmel and the victory of what he saw God do. And he runs in fear and says, kill me. You think of Jeremiah who says, it'd be better. I curse the day I was born. Like these heroes of faith still get to a play sometimes. They say, I just want to end it all. And so David's not immune to these things, which is good news for you and me. That if you're in a place where you're in despair and discouragement, a place of fear, and someone's just telling you, you just need more faith, you just say, thank you very much. That's a, that's a little of a, it's a cliche. That's a, it's a religious platitude. I need something with more sustenance than that. And turn into God's word and see what David does. Psalm 55, it's like a journal entry. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not your face, yourself, from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest, the storm that I'm in. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in the midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Well, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, O oh man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. 
We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. So the first thing we learn from David, I think is actually this word, complain. Is that you have permission to complain to God. Complaining is when you say it as it is. You talk about the anger, the grief, the sorrow, the fear, the reality of the situation as it really is. David names it. He calls it. He says, this isn't just an adversary, someone who's out there, an external threat. I've done with that. I've done those things all day long. But this is... This is betrayal. This is from the inside of my family. This is a friend that has turned on me. And I love it, he just says, I am restless in my complaint. And then he just lays it out, my heart is in anguish within me, I'm terrified, I'm living on the edge of death here. And he's just like, God, will you you hear this prayer? There's so much help that comes when we just name our fears. When you just say it out loud. I would say first and foremost, you need to talk to God about it. Do you know what is causing fear in your life? Is it just to say, God, I'm afraid that I don't have what it takes. Lord, I'm actually, I'm really afraid that I'm gonna get sick. Lord, I'm really afraid that I'm gonna get somebody sick. Lord, I'm really afraid that things will never go back to normal. Lord, I'm really afraid of this political party having influence and authority in my country that it's gonna go this direction. I'm actually afraid of these things. See, there's no place for the Christian to have a stiff upper lip and pretend like everything's fine when we all know it's not. David doesn't even do that. David first turns to the Lord and then he just lays it out. This is my complaint. This is my grief, my anger, my sorrow, what I'm discontent with. This is what I'm terrified of. This is what causes fear in my life. And he names it. Sometimes a good friend can do that for you too. It's just you say, speak it out loud. This is what I'm afraid of. And then when you hear it out loud, someone asks you a clarifying question. Sometimes that fear gets a lot smaller because it was big in your head, wasn't it? And then just talking about it, it gets a lot smaller. But here begins with complaints. And I think for the Christian, you're supposed to be like, oh, don't, don't complain, just have faith. Yes, have faith. And take those complaints, take the reality of the situation, and give it to God. He is a big God. You can beat on his chest. So the first thing David, I think, does is he just complains. He names it. He calls out to God. The second one is in verse 16. He says, but I call to God. Calling to God is the sense of bring your presence into my life. Let me be present with you. You're calling on a relationship. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and they do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friend. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. He calls on God. 
He calls on God to be his God present with him. That God would be the one that is with David in all of his runnings, in all of his fear and worries, and that he would actually be the one that takes care of his soul and brings it in safety. What he's doing is reflecting on it, saying, God, even though I've been on the run, you've provided for me every step of the way. You've brought companies of friends and family nearby. I now am not just alone, I actually travel with 400 men. He's provided for his meals, his physical well-being. In the midst of this trouble, God's presence has provided the sustenance for David. So the second one is just to call on God. Is do you call on him? And, and calling doesn't mean like, well, I talked to him once at dinner time when I was praying with my kids. No, calling is petitioning. Look what David, this becomes a pattern for those after David. Evening and morning and at noon I called to him. Remember Daniel, how many times did Daniel pray before he was thrown in the lion's den? Morning, noon, and evening. How about Jesus' prayer life? Did you see him praying early in the morning? In the afternoon, in the evenings? Absolutely. This becomes almost a pattern for those who believe in God to say, throughout the day, I call on the Lord, morning, noon, and night. A practice that I've had on and off in my life is just to set alarms on my phone. Sometimes it's like early in the morning, 5, 6 a.m., sometime in the afternoon, 1 o'clock after lunch, and then the evening around 8, just for the alarm to go off, and it reminds me to stop what I'm doing and to pray, to call on the Lord throughout the day, to call on his presence to be with me. Last one is this in verse 22. So we offer him our complaint. We call on the Lord's presence. And then this last one is we cast our burdens on the Lord. Verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Casting is the sense of like throwing off, depositing. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Remember what he's always said in this, in this psalm? He said, I'm, I'm dealing with people that don't fear God. But I will fear you. I trust in you. Back in Psalm 52, another psalm written on the run, David just simply says this, says, look at the man. See the man who would not make God his refuge? Probably speaking of Saul, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Like this person was afraid and they didn't fear God. And so they tried to get all their strength from all their resources. And when they didn't have enough resources, then they did it in their destruction. The reason that Saul's trying to destroy David is so that Saul can feel like he's safe. David, on the other hand, casts all of his burdens on the Lord for the Lord to sustain him through it. This is drastically different. Now, I want you to notice something. Does God take away the threat of Saul immediately when David prays? He doesn't. There's so much counsel out there today through medicine and other activities that are just trying to alleviate, remove the pain in your life. I think the Bible is far more honest with us than them. 
to say life is challenging. It is hard. There will be things in life that should make you afraid. There are things that will cause heartache in your life. You should feel those things. Every day can't be a happy day. But there's a God who is good and gracious and present with you through it. Like what David says in this Psalm, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Does it say, and he will take it away? No, it says, and he'll sustain you through it. This is why he's able to write Psalm 23, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You're sustaining me through these difficult days. If you're having a lot of fear in your life right now, I want you to know you're in difficult days. But there's a God who's greater than all of these days that will give you a supernatural strength and sustain you through it. Either you can fear it, or you can do as David does, fear God. And fearing God is truly to tremble and have this awe and reverence before God. David says, why should I be afraid of man? Fear God. Jesus picks this up and says, why be afraid of man? All they can do is destroy your body. Be afraid of God who, after destroying body, can throw your soul into eternal hell. And then there's Jesus who comes and says, now there's no fear of that. Because of the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, though once enemies of God, you've been made friends of God. And the apostle John who walked with Jesus says, that perfect love of God, what's it do? Do you guys know? It casts out all fear. What a great way to say, okay, here's the psalm that I complain to God, I call on God, and I cast my burdens on God, and then his perfect love does what? It casts fear out of me. The end of the story is that David goes and takes a little, little cut out of Saul's robe that was laying in the cave. And then Saul goes back out with the 3,000 men who are looking for David. And David comes out and says, Saul, it's me. Are you looking for me? I'm no threat to you. Wake up to reality. Your fear has messed with you. You've done all these irrational things. I have no threat to you. See this little piece of your clothes? I could have killed you. But I'm not going to destroy the Lord's anointed. You intended evil and wickedness to me, and I return good and faithfulness to you. And Saul begins to weep and begs David to forgive him. And what is happening in that moment is that David, a righteous man, is absorbing all the fear of the situation in his trust in God. And that's what we have for us today, are those three things. That we live in a time of fear that can have significant internal effects on us, that can cause physiological problems in our life, that can have us make decisions that we didn't want to make unless we come and do what David does. Call out to God, bring our complaint to him, tell him as it is, and then cast it at his feet that he might cast it out of us. 
And I just wanted to take those three postures with you as a church and, and do that this morning. And so would you just bow your head with me and maybe you just, if you want to lay your hands open on your knees, I just want to give space for you to be honest with God this morning.